Well, hey, First Church, so glad you guys are here today, whether you're in person or online. And we like to welcome in our online family every single Sunday. And I heard this morning we've got Jen, who's traveling to Texas. Isn't it great that you can still worship with us, even though you're traveling? And I hope you, if you are traveling, you're not driving right now. And if you are, you're just listening, not watching us. But still, we want to welcome you and all of our online family in this morning. So if you're here in person, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online community? My mom and dad are worshiping with us right now online, so shout out to my dad because it is Father's Day, and most of you guys know that already, and so I just want to give a shout out not just to my dad, but to all the dads who are worshiping with us here today. We appreciate you guys. We love you, and we're praying for you because it's a huge responsibility to be a dad, and you guys know that. Yeah, let's give it up for our dads. Studies show that if a dad actively practices his faith, then the chances of his children practicing their faith, they skyrocket. So we're praying for you. We love you. We got your back. And anything our church can do to help you, we're here for you. Now, one thing that dads are known for, telling jokes. Not always good jokes, but they're known for telling jokes. And so we decided as a staff to get together some of our dads and have a dad joke competition and uh, take a look at how it turned out. This Father's Day, five dads joking out to prove they're the funniest. And all they have to do is make stone-faced Jake laugh the fastest. Who will win? Your mama. <laughs> Didn't get in. All right, we'll just go to the other ones. What do you call someone who saw a robbery in an Apple store? Eyewitness. Mm, yeah. Did you hear the story about the cheese that saved the world? It was legendary. <laughs> what do you call crows that stick together? Velcro. Oh, he's killing me. Did you know they made a pencil with two erasers? It's pointless. That's good. When does a joke become a dad joke? When it's apparent. Yes. Hi there, Jake. Do you know what ET was short for? Huh, Jake? No. Because he's got really short legs, pal. What's brown and sticky, Jake? A stick. You're right, bud. Nice job. Can a kangaroo jump higher than a house, Jake? I don't know. It sure can't. Houses don't jump. I thought about going on an all-almond diet, and you know how much I like to eat, right? But that's just nuts. What did the grape do when he got stepped on? This one here is a little Jesus, see, Jake? <laughs> Don't laugh, bud. What did the grape do when he got stomped on? He let out a little wine. You're crying, Jake. Does that count as a laugh? You ready for this? Why do scuba divers fall backwards out of a boat? Oh, because if they fall forward, they fall into the boat. What do we want? Low flying planes. When do we want them? Now. <laughs> <laughs>
dumb. <laughs> My cat was just sick on the carpet. I don't think it was feeling well. My wife said I was immature, so I told her to get out of my fort. I almost regret asking him to make that video, honestly. I don't get the cat one at all, but maybe you all did. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of dad jokes, but I do have a few preacher jokes that have been shared with me over the years, and they're worse than dad jokes. Let me tell you my favorite. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul is preaching, and he keeps preaching and preaching and preaching. He preaches for hours on to midnight. He preaches. There's one young man who's sitting in a window listening to Paul preach, and he falls asleep, and he ends up falling out of the window. True story. It's in the Bible, Acts chapter 20, and that young man who fell out the window his name was Eutychus a really cool name you know why they called him Eutychus Eutychus too if you fell out a window <laughs> see that's good isn't it that's that's good all right okay all jokes aside we're in a series right now called we are first church and in this series we're talking about the DNA of our church what does it mean to be part of first church because over the past year year and a half we have been experiencing some phenomenal growth as a church numerical spiritual growth and I just want to let you know something hell is not very happy with what's going on in this place right now hell is not happy because this isn't how it's supposed to be. Satan, I believe, wanted to use this pandemic and everything in our culture to try to hold the church back and hinder the church's growth and keep us from doing what God wants us to do. But we as a church family have not let that happen. I think the reason why we haven't let that happen is because we are a church that strives to be on mission every single day. And our mission as a church, it's simple. It's this, it's love Jesus, love like Jesus. Just five words, but this is what we're all about. This is who we are at our core. And our mission statement is based on the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And Jesus says that all of God's law, all of his commandments hang on these two commandments. In other words, it doesn't matter what else you're doing. If you're not doing this, then you're missing the main thing. So it doesn't matter how great our programs are, our activities are, doesn't matter how great our facility is, doesn't matter what we offer as a church. If we're not loving Jesus and loving like him, then nothing else we do ultimately matters because we believe we're here for a purpose. We believe we're here to change our culture, to change the world around us, that the world needs us, the church, right now to tell them about Jesus. We believe that we are here to unleash a revolution of God's love on the 918 and beyond. In other words, we're here to take the joy that Jesus has multiplied in us and multiplied in others. We're here to take the grace and the peace and the hope that Jesus has multiplied in us and multiply it in others. And the tool that Jesus has given us to do that is his love. Listen to what Jesus tells his followers in John chapter 13. He says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, the watching world will be drawn to us and the life that Jesus is creating in us 
when they see our profound love for God and our profound love for people. But here's the thing. In order for the world to see that love in us, in our church, we have to understand what the church is supposed to be, God's intent for the church, how he sees us, who he's calling us to be. And one concept, one biblical concept of the church that I think we need to wrap our minds around is this idea that we are God's family. See, we are first church, and what that means is we are God's family. God did not establish the church to be a clique or a country club or just another humanitarian group on the earth. No, we're different. We're here to be God's family on the earth. Listen to what 1 Timothy says, what Paul writes in 1 Timothy. He says, the family of God is the church of the living God. It is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. In other words, in this world, we represent God. In this world, we are his namesake. In this world, when people see us in our daily lives, they should see some, re some resemblance of his character, of his attributes. We are his family, his children. We represent him. We are to be his family. Now, I know when some of you guys hear the term family, what comes to mind isn't a positive thing, but more of a negative thing. Because a lot of us come from homes that maybe aren't as healthy as they should be. And there's a reason for that. Because God intended the family for our good, but yet Satan loves to hijack what God intended for our good. And so a lot of us came from broken homes, and our idea of family isn't what it should be, isn't what God intended, intended it to be. And the same is true for his church. When the Bible talks about the church being the family of God, it's supposed to be a positive thing. But Satan loves to hijack what God intended for our good. And that's why when a lot of people, when they hear the word church, what comes to mind isn't positive stuff, but it's negative stuff. They see a group of people who are judgmental and a group of people who are exclusive and that treat the church more like a club or a clique than anything else. They see the church more as just this tradition or ritual to be carried out or maybe just a show that people put on, but they don't see it as a family. But that's what God intended it to be. Because in a healthy family, you love one another no matter what. You encourage one another. You're there for one another. You support one another. You challenge one another. You make one another better because you're invested in one another. That's what a healthy family looks like. That's what a healthy family is. And no family's perfect. We're not perfect as a church. When I stand up here and talk about all the great things that God is doing in this church, I'm not saying we're a perfect church, so don't send me any emails where you say, you know, last week at church, somebody gave me a dirty look, or somebody wouldn't talk to me, or somebody, don't tell me that everybody has a bad day, and I guarantee you don't always get along with everybody in your family, but in the end, they're still family, right? So we're all going to have bad days, and don't tell me somebody didn't talk to you at church, you're mad about it, did you try to talk to them? I mean, that's what I always want to say, but we're family, and what that means is we may not always see eye to eye. And we may sometimes get on each other's nerves, but in the end, we're there for one another, and we love each other, and we love each other and support one another and encourage one another in a world that is tearing people apart. That's what the church is supposed to be. Somebody shared with me several years ago a picture of two brothers in a men's bathroom, and I love this picture because I think this picture is an illustration of the church. You know, I've been thinking, what in the world? How is this an illustration of the church? Well, this is laying your life down for your brother. If you have ever been 
in a men's bathroom. This is sacrificial love right there. And I think that's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be willing to get dirty. We're supposed to be willing to give up our own comforts, give up our time and our resources to lift up our brothers and sisters. As a kid, did you ever ask somebody to give you a boost? You know, put your foot there, give you a boost. That's what the church is here for. Because we live in a world that is constantly tearing us down. And we know that we were designed for community. God designed us for community. He did not intend us to do life alone. And that means that we need one another. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In other words, we're better together. And when we surround ourselves with godly friends, Christian friends, a Christian community and family, we become better people because as Jesus works in their lives, that rubs off on us as well and we can also help out them. And I think a beautiful picture of the church is found in the book of Hebrews when the author of Hebrews says this to early Christians. He says, let us consider how we can stir up one another to love. Let us help one another to do good works, and let us not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing this. They give up on the church. They give up meeting together when somebody gives them a bad look or a mean look or whatever, but don't do that. Instead, let us encourage one another with words of hope. That's why we're here, to encourage one another, to help one another, to stir one another on, to do loving deeds, to love like Jesus. That's why the church exists. And here at First Church, we believe that we need one another. And that's why we teach we grow best together in community. If you've been here any time at all, you know that there are some key elements, key, key things that it takes to be part of our church family that we expect of every person who partners with our ministry here, every person who wants to be a member of our church. That's what other churches call it. We try to use the term partnership because membership sounds like a club and we don't want to be a club. So if you want to be a partner with our church here, if you want to partner with our ministry, we have three expectations uh, for everybody who wants to do that. And the first one we talked about last week, it's pursuing Jesus. We want all of our church family to be pursuing Jesus on a personal, daily, on uh, a personal level with a daily commitment. But then the next uh, expectation we have for our church family is that we want to be a family that is seeking to grow together because we need one another. And I think oftentimes people don't grow together within the church because they see the church more as a collection of individuals than as a family that works together as a team. And if we're going to see ourselves as a family, what that means is we need to see our God as he wants to be seen. And the primary way that God reveals himself to us in the New Testament is with the description of being a father. God reveals himself to us as our father, our father in heaven. In fact, when Jesus talked about God, he described God as father more than anything else. That was the term, that was the title that Jesus used more than any other term or any other title to describe God. He wanted us to understand God as our heavenly Father who loves us. And there's a reason why Jesus over 200 times refers to God as our Father. It's because a lot of people in Jesus' day, kind of like people today, that's not how they pictured God. See, a lot of people in Jesus' day, they pictured God more like a referee you know, a referee that had a whistle that was ready to blow it every time you messed up, every time 
you made some mistake. That referee was there ready to blow the whistle to penalize you. That's how a lot of people in Jesus' day saw God, this colossal referee. And honestly, that's how a lot of people in our culture today see God as well. And Jesus, no, you've got the wrong image of God. God isn't a referee, but he's a father. You guys know that I love sports. And one thing that I enjoy doing occasionally, I will watch a game intentionally that I'm not for either team. I don't care who wins. And I'll invite people over to my house who I know are for one of those two teams that are going to be on opposing sides. And so we'll watch the game. And I love to listen to them go back and forth. I really do. But one thing that both opposing sides always tend to agree on is that the referee makes bad calls. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they will defend their team no matter what. And both sides can agree the referee is messing up throughout the game, especially if it's a close game and if you're a referee I apologize I don't mean to criticize you it's a tough job I wouldn't want it personally but nobody likes a referee who's constantly penalizing them and honestly that's how some people see God and Jesus says no no let me let you know who God really is when Jesus prays to his father in heaven listen to what he says he talks about one of the reasons why he came and he and Jesus prays righteous father look how he addresses God righteous father though the world does not know you the world doesn't know who you really are I know you I know who you are and they know that you have sent me, that I'm from you. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. In other words, I want the world to know you, God, as I know you. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the only, is the only begotten Son of God, right? And so we see that Jesus as this as God's son wanted for us to have the relationship with God that he had. And that's why he came, so that he could reunite us with our Father. And so if you see God as anything else but this, as a loving dad who wants to bring his family back together again, then you have the wrong idea of God. Because the reason why God gives us teachings and instructions and rules, it's not to limit us. It's not because he just wants to penalize us or anything like that. It's because he loves us and he wants us to live our best possible life. And that's why Jesus went to people who felt excluded and felt like outsiders, who felt like they weren't loved by anybody to let them know that they were still loved by God, that they were still children of God because all of us, no matter where we are, we are children of God who've run away from him and God just wants us to come back home. See, that's why everywhere Jesus went, he put one of these at his feet, a welcome mat, to let everyone know, no matter what they had done, no matter their past, no matter their background, they had a place in God's house. They had a place around God's table. They were welcomed back home. And that he, their father, loved them no matter what. Everywhere Jesus went, he put a welcome mat at his feet to let everyone know that they were loved by their father and that he still had a purpose for their lives. And one of my favorite examples of this is found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2, when Jesus encounters a man named Levi who happened to be a Roman tax collector. And this story, this encounter with Jesus is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I want to look at Luke's version of this. And, Luke, and, Matt, I'm sorry, and Mark introduces us to Levi in this way. He says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, this is the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them 
as he walked along. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now let's hit pause there for a second. Because here Mark introduces us to this guy named Levi. And what you need to know is Levi also went by another name. He went by the name Matthew. But Mark points out that he went by Levi at this point. And what you need to know is Levi is a rich Jewish name. It's a name that has a strong Jewish heritage. See, Levi was a tribe within Israel, and the Levites were those who conducted the worship services. They were the kind of the religious leaders among the people. And so this tax collector who we meet in Mark chapter 2, his family was so proud of their religious background, of their religious heritage, that they named their son after their tribe. They named him Levi. But somewhere along the way, this tax collector named Levi abandoned his religious heritage, abandoned his family, abandoned his people. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that Levi was a Roman tax collector. And when the Jews thought of a tax collector in this day and age, don't think of an IRS agent today, even though none of us really like to pay taxes and we always don't have fond ideas of tax collectors and all that. I get that, but don't think of our modern-day IRS agent. Think of a traitor. Think of an oppressor. Because, you see, first-century Israel, where Jesus lived, well, it was occupied by a foreign empire, the Roman Empire, and the Romans were a cruel people, and they put soldiers on every street corner to make sure that the people that they conquered obeyed their Roman laws. And one law that everybody had to obey was paying taxes to Rome. And the Romans, they taxed the Jewish people at a rate somewhere between 60 and 70% of their income. It was a high, high tax rate. They taxed the people into poverty, basically. And the Jews, they despised the Romans. They saw the Romans as a pagan people anyway, but then they definitely didn't want to pay taxes to this foreign empire, but they had to because if you didn't pay taxes, there was a Roman soldier ready to take care of you. It was pay taxes or die, basically. You didn't have a choice. And the Jewish people, they especially hated the tax collectors because most of the tax collectors, they were crooks. They would charge people more taxes than Rome required, and then they would keep the extra for themselves, and Rome kind of turned a blind eye to this because... As long as Rome got their cut, that's all that really mattered to them. And so when we read that this man who was a Jew is now a tax collector working for the enemy, most of his fellow people, the Jewish people, they would have considered him lower than scum. He would have been shunned by his people. He would have been, he'd been hated by his own family. His family would have been embarrassed of him. They would have wanted nothing to do with him. That's how most Jews in this day and age would have treated a guy named Le like Levi. Everybody would treat a Levi like that except for Jesus. Jesus walks up to Levi's tax collecting booth and he looks at Levi in the eye and look at what Jesus says to him. Jesus says, follow me. Now, those two words would have changed Levi's life because those were two words that every young Jewish man wanted to hear a rabbi say to them. 
Because in this day and age, every single Jewish boy, every single Jewish young man, they wanted to grow up to be a rabbi. The rabbis were the most respected and influential people in the Jewish culture. Everybody wanted to be a Jewish rabbi. Every mom wanted her little boy to grow up to be a rabbi. And so they would send their sons to uh, rabbi school, basically. And then after you got through uh, rabbi school, then the best and the brightest would then get to shadow around an existing rabbi. And if the rabbi, after a season, of this, young, uh, of this young man auditioning for him, if this rabbi thought that this guy was worthy to follow in his steps, then he would say to him these words, follow me. Now, I don't know about your family, but my family loves to watch the TV show America's Got Talent, AGT. Anybody else like to watch America's Got Talent? And if you know the concept of this show, you know that people come and they audition between these four judges. And if the judges like you, then in the end, they give you a thumbs up, they give you a yes. But if they don't like you in the midst of your performance, then they can hit their red buzzer and you get a red X and you hear this sound right here. And nobody wants to hear that sound because that means that you're probably not going to go on if you've, if you've heard one of those buzzers. And the thing is, these rabbis in the first century world, they were quick to hit their red buzzer. If they saw anything, even a little something in this young man that they didn't like, they'd hit their red buzzer right away because they thought he's not worthy to carry on my rabbinic legacy. And so to hear the words, follow me, it meant you were worthy that you were in a group all by yourself, that you got to have one of the best positions throughout all of Israel. And so when Jesus says to Levi, follow me, it's not just any rabbi saying this. This is a guy who a lot of people believe to be the Messiah. This is a guy, Jesus, who's doing miracles. And even if people don't believe he's the Messiah, they know he's a prophet sent from God. This is a rabbi unlike anybody else. He's the most influential Jewish teacher around. And so when he turns to Levi and says, follow me, what Levi hears is, you're worthy to God. And that's why I think the Bible says this. It says, the Levi got up and followed him. Luke gives us this extra little detail. It says, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Because here's the thing. When you followed a rabbi, you had to leave everything behind. You had to leave your old job, your old occupation, your old way of life. You left everything behind. And here's the thing. Tax collectors were extremely wealthy in this day and age. They had a lot of influence and power. And Levi is willing to leave all that behind. And once you walked away from being a tax collector, there was no going back. You had 100 people waiting in line for your job. There were a lot of people who wanted to money and the influence and the power that came along with being a tax collector and that's why Luke adds this little detail he left everything behind and my question is why why would Levi leave everything behind so quickly so immediately well I don't think it was just the people around Levi who didn't like Levi I've got a feeling Levi didn't really like Levi I've got a feeling that Levi really didn't like the life that he was living he thought that all this money and power and prestige would fulfill him and satisfy him, but it wasn't working. He felt more and more empty all the time. And I wonder if Levi hadn't tried out to be a rabbi at some point and some rabbi along the way had hit his buzzer and said, nope, you're not worthy, you're not good enough. But now Jesus, this guy sent from God, this prophet, this possible Messiah that we've been waiting for, Jesus looks at Levi and says, follow me. When Levi heard that, what he heard was, God sees you as worthwhile. 
even with your past, even with your mistakes, even with the corruption that might be in your life right now, God still sees you as worthwhile because God sees you as his child. And that's why Levi immediately followed Jesus. And maybe you need to hear this as well today. Maybe you're looking at your own life and you're thinking, I just don't know if I have a whole lot to live for. I don't know if I have much to be proud of. In fact, when I look at my life, I'm pretty broken. I'm pretty messed up. Jesus wants you today to know that God sees you, yes, you, as worthwhile. Now, the religious people in Jesus' day, they didn't see Levi as worthwhile. In fact, when they see that Jesus is hanging out with a tax collector, and here's the thing, Levi, he throws a big party for Jesus and invites all of his tax collector buddies to come and meet Jesus as well. And when the religious guys see Jesus hanging out with all these tax collectors, look at how they respond. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, look, they have their own category for tax collectors. You have sinners, that's like prostitutes and thieves and robbers and all those people. But then tax collectors, they're below notorious sinners. You know, they have their own category. When they saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, Levi, he's scum. He's the scum of the earth. Why would Jesus, this man of God, be hanging out with him? It's because Jesus had God's heart. And God's heart beats for everyone. Because everyone is God's child. And no matter how far you've run from him, he wants his children back home. God's heart beats for everyone. And Jesus had God's heart. And that's why everywhere he went, he laid a welcome mat at his feet to say, God wants you to come back home. You know, worth determines value. Something is only valuable when somebody is willing to pay for it, right? When somebody else sees it as worth it. My brother, my younger brother, he was going through my parents' basement the other day and came across these. These were my J's, my Jordan shoes when I was younger. And they were pretty beat up and dirty and worn out. I mean, I wore shoes out when I was a kid. And I never dreamed that one day, you know, these could possibly be worth some money. So I just wore them out. I was a kid, you know. Well, he finds these in my parents' basement. And he's like, you know, Chad, I think they might be worth something. I was like, no. I mean, maybe if they were in good condition, maybe. But, I mean, there's no way that these beat up shoes are worth very much at all and he said I'm going to try to find out so he cleaned them up this is what they looked like after he cleaned them up and then uh, he put them up on online took some pictures of them to see if there was anybody who was interested in them and then he also went to some collectors and contacted them and he had one collector offer him over a thousand dollars for these shoes and he calls me up and he said hey Chad guess how much our shoes are worth and I'm like our shoes I don't ever remember you wearing them, our shoes. And then my dad heard about it. He's like, who paid for those shoes? Those are my shoes, you know? (laughs) But, you know, when I saw those beat-up, dirty shoes, I saw them as worthless. It's something that were in my parents' basement, dusty, dirty. But somebody else saw them as valuable. And here's the thing. You may be looking at your life right now and saying, hey, I don't think my life is worth very much. There's a cross that stands in history that speaks to your value, to your worth. This cross right here says that you're worth everything to God so much so that he was willing to die for you. This cross says you have hope. This cross says that who you are today 
doesn't have to be who you are tomorrow. This cross is the promise of a new life. This cross means that God still has a purpose for you. There's a cross that stands in history that speaks to your value, to your worth. And this is the picture that the church should be putting on display for the world to see, to let everyone, and I mean everyone, know that they're worth, that they're worthwhile to God, that God sees value in their life. But unfortunately, in some churches, they've replaced the image of the cross with this, the image of a scarecrow. The image of a scarecrow says, get out. You're not welcome here. We don't want you around. Unless you look like us and act like us and talk like us and dress like us, you're not welcome here. You've got to be part of our clique. You've got to be part of our club first. You've got to be good enough first before you can come around here. And a lot of people who need the church don't feel welcome in the church because we've replaced the image of the cross with the image of a scarecrow. And so instead of holding up a welcome mat, what we've done is we've posted keep out signs. And nothing could be further from what God wants for his church. God's heart beats for everyone. And if you don't believe me, listen to what the scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, Christ died for everyone. And let me let you know something. That Greek word everyone means everyone. Move on to that next verse. In Titus it says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That means all people everywhere. And that's why when the religious people started to complain about Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, listen to how Jesus responds. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, I've come to bring those who are far from God back to him. That's the whole point of me coming. And guys, all of us are like the rest of us because all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It's interesting, in Matthew's account of this story, Matthew says that Jesus also adds this. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, it's not about just going through religious motions, but it's about having God's heart. And God's heart beats for everyone. All of us are like the rest of us. The one thing that all of us have in common here today is sin. We've all run from God. We've all rebelled against Him. We've all messed up. And that's why at First Church, we always say it's okay to not be okay. Some churches want you to get okay before you show up. That's not us. It's okay to not be okay because it's only when you realize that you're not okay that you can invite Jesus to come in and change your life. It's okay to not be okay. And we're all at different spiritual levels, and that's okay because we all need Jesus, and we're all just trying to get closer to him. And together we can help one another do that no matter where we are on our spiritual journey. See, a church... A church that isn't for everyone everywhere isn't really a church for anyone anywhere. And we are a church for everyone everywhere because everyone everywhere needs Jesus. And that's why one of our goals as a church is to be this type of church that we looked at just a second ago. Let us consider how we can stir up one another to love. Let us help one another to do good works and let us not give up meeting together Some are in the habit of doing this. Instead, let us encourage one another with words of hope. We're here to give each other a boost. 
We're here to support one another. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to make sacrifices for one another so that we can be invested in this family and this family can continue to grow because everybody needs to know that they have a place in God's house. God's house is for everyone because his heart is for everyone. And so let me ask you, how are you investing in this family? Because sometimes people come to me and they say, you know, I, I came to your church and uh, I tried to join a small group or I tried to do this and it just, they weren't doing anything for me. And my response is, well, what were you doing for them? Because being part of a family, it's a two-way street, right? You're invested in one another. You help one another do life better because you're doing life together. It's not a one-sided thing. So we have tons of opportunities here at First Church for you to be invested in this family. And as you invest in this family, this church will invest in you as well. Maybe you need to join a small group. If you're not part of a small group, we're going to launch new groups this fall. And you can, go and you can go ahead and sign up today to be part of a small group this fall. Our groups minister, Brian, will be out at our hub here on site. If you're watching online, there's a link that's going to pop up in the online hub. You can sign up for a group today. And when you come to a small group, don't walk into the group and say, okay, what can you guys do for me? That's not going to work. I'm telling you. Come and say, okay, I'm here to be part of this family. Because in a big church, it's hard to get to know everybody, but you can... Get to know people on an intimate level in a group that you can do life together with, that can surround you with the love of Jesus. Maybe it's joining a Bible study. We've got Bible studies here. We've got Bible studies to meet on Sunday mornings. We've got Bible studies to meet throughout the week. If you want to join a Bible study, see Brian again. He can get you connected with one of our Bible studies. Maybe it's joining a ministry team or serving alongside others in our church. Sometimes the way that we build Christian friendships is by serving with other people so that we either serve here in one of the ministry teams we have at church, like our greeter team or maybe our cafe team or maybe you serve in our uh, student ministry or children's ministry or wherever or maybe it's going out and serving in our Love 918 ministry, helping those that are in need in our community. Zeb's all about that. Go see Zeb. He'll find a spot for you. I guarantee it. And as you serve alongside other people in whatever capacity that may look like, you get to know these people and build relationships and friendships that can possibly last for a lifetime. Maybe it's being part of our First Impressions team here. And by First Impressions, that's the guys who work on our grounds to make sure that this building, this campus looks great. Let me tell you something. You want to know a group of fun guys to hang out with. It's, it's that group right there. If you want to come be part of our First Impressions team. Or maybe it's some other organic opportunity where you get to know people. Maybe there's somebody or a family that you sit beside every single week in church but you say hey to them and that's it. Invite them to go to lunch with you. Maybe send them a card. Hang out with them sometime. Get to know one another. And if you want to find an area to get plugged in, where you can get plugged in, we're going to have a discovery class next Sunday after this service, after our 11 o'clock service. And you're welcome to come to that discovery class and we're going to have a free lunch for anybody who shows up. So make sure you sign up online so we know how many people we're going to have so we have plenty of food. We'll have plenty anyway, but still, sign up. And you can come and you can find out how you can get invested in our church, in First Church, because we want to surround you with people who will help you get closer to Jesus. Somebody sent me a video this week of some of our students that were at camp, camp this week, and they came up with a cheer about our church, a chant maybe about our church. Some of them are sitting on the front row here. And I want to share with you their chant. Here it is.
Yeah. He didn't catch what they said. said, who are we? First church. Who do we love? Jesus. How do we love? Like Jesus. Who are we? There you go. Right on cue. Guys, we're a, we're a community that functions as a family. We're not a group of individuals doing our own thing. We're a community. We're a family that's doing life together, that's living on mission for Jesus, and we want you to be part of that family. I made the comment earlier that Levi, who we've been talking about, he went by another name. A lot of people in this day and age had more than one name. He also went by the name Matthew, and later in life, he tends to go by Matthew more than Levi. Matthew means gift of God. Maybe early on, Levi didn't see his life as a gift from God, but after he met Jesus, he did. And here's the thing, this is the same Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in our New Testament, that God inspired to write the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, this former tax collector, <laughs> was able to influence billions of lives over thousands of years, over 2,000 years, because he was willing to follow Jesus and became part of the community of followers of Jesus. Today, what could God do with your life? If you come be part of First Church, we will help point you in his direction to show you what he can do in a life like yours. We are First Church. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today, and we thank you for this time we've had to open up your word and study it. And we just pray, Father, that we will be a church that grows together in community because as your word says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need one another. And we pray that you use this church to expand your family on earth, your church, so that we can bring more and more people home to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.